At Dublab, we believe in equality and action. Strong, creative people have the power to make a difference. My voice is coming to you from the Dublab studio. Make your voice heard just as clearly by voting. Broadcast your message by participating in one of the most important elections of our generation. Get started by using vote.gov and registering today. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a DubLab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the DubLab radio archives. Hi, I'm Frosty and you're tuned into DubLab. We're going to shine some light on one of our all-time favorite musicians and producers, Haruomi Hosono. Recently, I hosted a live conversation with Kuni Marai at the amazing In Sheep's Clothing Hi-Fi Bar in downtown Los Angeles. Marai is a songwriter, music publisher, and the founder of Alpha Records, which was home to Yellow Magic Orchestra and other wildly adventurous Japanese artists from the 1970s and 80s. Kuni and YMO founder Hosono are longtime friends and collaborators. Together, they founded the Alpha subsidiary Yin Records, which released some of Hosono's best solo material and a host of other incredible Japanese bands. Now, Light in the Attic is reissuing many of Hosono's albums for the very first time outside of Japan. And to celebrate the occasion, Kuni and I got together to talk about his long association with Harumi Hosono. This is DubLab. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kuni Marai, a heroic music figure. I, I wish I had uh, brought him an award or something. He deserves an award, but um, the the award will be uh, all of your attention. I think we can get comfortable and and really? and say, yeah, I think so. We'll be casual. Can you see me? <laughs> but thank you. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get casual and enjoy ourselves. So we've been listening to uh, some Hosono. Already you started off with that uh, um, Hosono House 1973 album, 73. and yeah, so 73. How many years? I'm not good at math. 45 years ago, something like that. Yeah. Wow. How- I I can I speak? I would lo- I would love <laughs> nothing right. more than wow. for you to speak for us. Um, my name is Kuni Murai. Uh, I'm a songwriter and a music publisher and the owner of a record company called Alpha, A-L-F-A, Records. And then uh, I uh, ran a music publishing company in Los Angeles uh, from 1980s to year 2000. And uh, uh, I'm known as a composer, but at the same time, I produce many records. And then uh, most of the records uh, with uh, Haruomi Hosono, mm-hmm. because he, I loved his music. Well, uh, we love his music, too. I'd love to actually kind of feel out how many of you are, are pretty deep Hosono fans and how many are you, of you are new to him, because now we have this new opportunity. Light in the Attic is kind of uh, putting out for the first time ever here in the United States, a lot of Hosono material. 
How many uh, super deep Hosono fans are here? Oh, many. Sprinkling. <laughs> I, I would say that I'm I'm getting there, but it's a di it's a deep deep world. Mm. He's somebody who's so prolific mm. that to be a deep Hosono head takes time. But I think now we're in this wonderful opportunity mm. to to be able to uh, for the first time really have access to this music and access to the music in a really beautiful way. Mm. I'd love to actually kind of reel it back a little bit. You, uh, you did a nice introduction, Cooney, but can you tell people a little more about your background, where you're coming from? You're, you're a musician, you're a songwriter, and by the time you met Hosono, you were already doing your thing. Yeah, um, I met Hosono in 1970. Um, by the time I was a uh, quite established uh, hit song writer, maybe I wrote 10 or 11 number one hit songs uh, in Japan. And then I went to Paris in 1969, and I started a music publishing company. And the first song I published uh, is the song called uh, My Way, uh, Written, uh, the English lyrics was written by Paul Anka. Those days, in 1970s, uh, Carol King uh, was my writer. You know, I represented her songs in Japan. So I f traveled to Paris, London, New York, Los Angeles, and Tokyo all the time since 1970 to up until now. Let's talk about your songs, because you mentioned some of these oh. international artists, which is very important, and I think uh, that publishing is, is a powerful thing. That, but you're an artist, and, and let's talk about the world you were in, and you started to intersect. You were, you were doing some work that then intersected with Hosono's world. Where were you coming from as an artist? Um, when I was a high school student, I was uh, playing in the, the uh, jazz band, Actually, uh, <laughs> my friend uh, Miao is there, and please stand up. <laughs> stand up. That's all. Uh, Miao is the uh, professor at uh, USC. He, he teaches economics. Uh, we used to play in the uh, high school jazz band, mm. and he played tenor saxophone. I played alto saxophone. So maybe you guys could jam afterwards. You bring your uh, yeah. your horns. <laughs> so that's how I met American music. Well, long before my father, who was a, a Navy engineer, he designed aircraft, you know, kind of thing. So he was a big fan of uh, American music uh, from 1920s and 30s. So I used to listen to all those songs. Then, uh, when I uh, was a college student, I wrote a song which became a hit. So, well, what style was that? It's a combination of Japanese melody and uh, Western harmonies. Yeah, yeah. So this was pre-group sounds kind of hitting, or was it around the same right, time? Right, right at the group sounds era. So group sounds is the kind of guitar-driven, almost like a, a, 
almost like a copy of the Ventures, but inspired by, you know, the Ventures and these bands, these guitar oh, bands. You know old stories. <laughs> you're you're going to give us do, do more know, stories. Do you know Ventures? <laughs> it's, it's a huge band in Japan. It's an uh, electric guitar band, and uh, they, their melody fits, fitted to uh, Japanese people. Mm. And, and it, they became a big, big, you know, band. Hugely popular, so much so that there are these kind of copycat bands all over who would get the same type of, you know, uh, guitars the Ventures had, and Japanese companies would mm -hmm. start making models that, yeah. that mim mimic this. It was this eleki sound and, and group sounds. So this was this phase. I kind of feel like in modern Japanese music, I kind of feel like it was like being in junior high school where you're like, I'm, I'm starting to figure out what's cool, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm not being fully myself. Uh -huh. I know what's, I know this is cool. So let's group together with people and let's dress similar, you know, mm -hmm. and let's do a sound. Mm -hmm. But it was hugely popular and it was one of these first things to kind of start to blast off. And, and you wrote some group sounds Tunes, oh sounds. yes, um, I wrote the song um, for one of the group sounds um, band called uh, Tempters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the same name existing in the states, but uh, Japanese Tempters. And then I wrote the uh, song based upon the uh, um, Gabriel Fores uh, Pavan, the classical music, and in and I made it into, you know, kind of rock version mm -hmm. of the uh, foray, and which became number one. And, and after that, that was 1968. Wow, long time ago. <laughs> Get your calculators you out, your calendars <laughs> out. Tell us about a group called uh, the Floral. Floral, uh, I think they are the beginning of Japanese rock music. And in the group, I remember Chu Kosaka, the dearest friend of uh, uh, Haruomi Hosono, was in the band. Why you know Floral? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. That's actually all I know. This is this is over, folks. This is the end. So, <laughs> but that that then morphed into a band called April Fool. And that was right. Hosono's, one of his first. And the sounds were changing. So I kind of feel like we're moving from junior high school and kind of getting into high school where you're like, all right, I've got this jacket and it looks like everyone else. I'm going to like rip the sleeve. You know, it's going to mm -hmm. be a little different. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of new, new rock sound was coming up in Japan. Yeah. And people's hair, of course, so this is all over the world. But, yeah. you know, time's going on. That's right. Hair is getting longer. People are getting more political. People are finding their voices yeah. and, you know, becoming a little more active. So this band, April Fool, yeah. kicks off, and Hosono is part of, uh, part of this band. Did you guys know each other at that point well? Yes. I met uh, Hosono for the first time in 1970. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the time uh, of the war in Vietnam, mm -hmm. and then uh, there was the famous uh, musical called Hair, H-A-I-R, Hair. Which every, everyone, <laughs> you guys know Hair, yes. 
But but this in Japan was uh, the the Japanese production of hair was a hub. You know, it was a hub yeah. for for the underground. It was a hub for for you know actors and musicians and artists. Tell us why this was such a phenomenon. Why did this pick well, up Well, it's all, it happened all over the world. Yeah. You know, it happened in New York City. It happened in Paris, the famous one in, in 1968. Uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but it's the kind of revolution in May, mm -hmm. May revolution in Paris. And students stood up and threw, threw the uh, stones to the policemen and then in New York City, Columbia University had a big, you know, uh, how do you say, you know? I mean, there's a huge protest movement, huge underground yeah, kind yeah. Of movement. I mean, people were... Anti-Vietnam uh, War yeah. was a big movement. At the same time, younger people shared the feeling together. Mm -hmm. So it, it didn't happen only in, in the States. It happened in France. Mm -hmm. It happened in Japan. It happened all over the world. Mm. So I think those days, younger generation connected throughout the world. So they share the, the same feeling. Mm -hmm. And some of them dreamed a uh, revolution happened, happens in the world. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe it. You know? <laughs> the revolution means you know, uh, communist revolution. Mm. And, uh, at the time, Soviet Union spent a lot of money for the PR, so uh, they gave a lot of money to young people. That's strange. I've heard this term history repeats itself, I wonder. Oh, why. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in any case, the hair was um, the sign of the age. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my friend produced hair in Japan, and then uh, Hosono, best friend Chu Kosaka uh, was the star in the hair. And uh, Chu Kosaka and Hosono came to my friend's house, and Hosono was playing guitar in the kitchen. And that's the first time I met him. But I instantly after he played guitar, I found, wow, he's a great musician. Sounds totally different from other musicians. Do you remember what he was playing? Uh, he was playing, uh, I think, French song. Okay. Yeah, but the chord work, I, I don't know how to express, you know, but talking about the good musician, yeah. uh, it's almost indescribable, in, almost hard to tell how he's good, but you can feel it with your heart. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he hits my heart uh, instantly like this. Wow. And then since then, I started using him as a studio musician. Playing bass? Playing bass, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was playing guitar in this house, but he was, he was in a lot of... That's right. So you were employing him, I'm sure he was happy, yeah. getting him involved in studio sessions. That's right. And that That's was right. his kind of first active gig. Like, I mean, That's not right. the first one, but really he started... That's right. Grinding. That's right. Tell us about his personality, though. So you, you were impressed by his music, but I've never met Hosono. Uh -huh. Tell us uh, what you thought of him. Uh, I don't know now, but those days, the 1970s, so 
I make an appointment with him. You come to my house to discuss about this. Come at nine o'clock, and he shows up midnight. <laughs> J- jazz hours. <laughs> so uh, he was he was on a different speed, you know. But I think that I think that also this was a time that people, young people too, musicians, are also breaking out of the the mold of this is what you were supposed to do. This is what my parents did, and they were finding themselves, you mm-hmm. know, and, and doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So he's a talented musician who breaks through straight to your soul, mm-hmm. but also from the outside, from the number of credits I've seen on, on records, uh-huh. he also has an incredible work ethic, and he's, he's dedicated to Oh, music. yes. Oh, yeah. His passion is in music. So he sometimes, you know, be late, you know. <laughs> be, is late because he's lost in sound and, and, and focused on that, you think? Yeah, and then I think it's the nature of him. Mm-hmm. Actually, I called him before this tonight, mm. two days ago, but unfortunately, I couldn't go through because his uh, cell phone is protected uh, by the telephone company. I have to put some kind of cord <laughs> to call him. <laughs> but, but from United States, uh, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So I sent the email to him. And he doesn't respond to email very often, but he responded. He said, sorry. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you could like think of the code breaker. Maybe it's like Tropical Dandy or something, something uh-huh, like uh-huh, that. Yeah. So April Fools his band he's in, and and then it, it kind of splinters, and he starts his band called Happy End yeah. with some other heavyweight mm-hmm. musicians. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that? And then then we should hear a Happy End tune. DJ Zach is over there. He's going to do it for us. But Happy End, what was happening around that time? And and what was your kind of connection to him? Were you still employing him for sessions? Or was he then focusing more on this band? Um, you know, uh, rock and roll is American music. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's the world music, but the 1970s, Rock and roll is from America, like jazz came from America, blues came up from, from America. So many people copied rock and roll. You know, in France, Johnny Alliday copied, you know, Elvis Presley. Uh, many people copied uh, American music. Yeah. And, but in France, in Japan, uh, the, the people who copied American music didn't sound great, but Happy End yeah. sound great. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt. Why, why did the other stuff not sound great to you? Um, I don't know the, the reason. Only... Uh, um, only very few talented people mm-hmm. can translate the feeling of American music, rock music, uh, to other people. 
sorry, I cannot tell the no, reason yeah, why. Yeah. Maybe. But you, as a producer, or a songwriter, I mean, you have the ear. You had the ear to know that Hosono uh-huh. was heavyweight. He had soul in him as a That's musician. Right. That's right. But also, you can tell when something's not right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was the, the, the reaction if you're hearing things. So, a lot of the earlier sound, you know, this was happening, it was English lyrics and doing, doing rock songs or instrumental. Mm hmm. But Happy End also was seemed to be breaking the mold mm-hmm. because they they were jumping into let's this is our music too mm-hmm. let's make our music let's yeah, make yeah. truly Japanese rock music yeah yeah so even the words and some of the words were also playing with language in such a way that it was unique to its own form you mm-hmm. know whether it was even a joke within it or, or wordplay mm-hmm. but stretching sounds and and they. They were the first band, Japanese rock band, to really、mm. kind of elastically fit Japanese lyrics、mm-hmm. seamlessly into their sound. Yeah.、Um, should we hear, hear a tune now? I know, I think we've got from the, the second Happy End album,、uh, Kazumachi Roman. This is、oh. 1971 on Bellwood. And it's going to be Dealer's Choice back there with Zach、uh, picking a tune. But let's hear a bit of music to kind of get everybody's ears a tune. We'll talk a bit more about Happy End and we'll continue our, our journey in Hosono with、uh, Kuni Marai. And let's give it up for、uh, In Sheep's Clothing Sound System. So, how did that, how was that received in Japan?、Uh, only a few people、uh, rec- could recognize、uh, the band. But、uh, everything happens from a few people. Yeah, the right people. Right people. So, I believe in the theory that everything starts from the avant garde.、Mm-hmm. You know, it's, if it's for everybody, that's for nobody. But、mm. it, if it's for you or you, it's a real thing. I need to get a license plate holder that says that. <laughs> 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 so, this was filtering through the, the right people, but they were obviously attuned. To the sounds coming, especially coming from the west coast of the United States. Yeah. So they were, they were doing something that was in a way wholly Japanese, and it was、mm-hmm. very much from, from them. That's right. Lyrically. Yeah. But they were also looking out to the west coast. Yeah. So much so that they famously took a trip to、mm-hmm. the west coast、mm-hmm. and、uh, met Van Dyke Parks、mm-hmm. with a suitcase full of money. Uh-huh. Oh. Did you hear about this story、yeah, when they came I, I back? I remember、hearing? just a little bit、uh, about the story. When, when did it happen? So, this was、uh, for their third album, which I think, that, I think they were also, you know, like any creative people who are kind of exploding with ideas are, are ready for the next idea.、Mm-hmm. But I think for them, they were probably trying to get to that soul, or as they called it, the Burbank sound, which.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> Burbank sound.、Yeah. 
IKEA. There's a big <laughs> IKEA there. Um, but but I mean, they they were seeking a sound, mm -hmm. and they knew that Lowell George and all these musicians. I mean, mm -hmm. this is Topanga, Laurel Canyon, and all these yeah. these folks had that sound, the sonic nature they were seeking. Mm -hmm. But they still wanted to imprint it, so they famously, you know brought a suitcase mm -hmm. full of money and, and that swayed them into making this record but that would also be the the last happy end record mm -hmm. that was kind of the end and mm -hmm. and there's reasons for that but were, were you listening to these records at home was this something that was on your turntable but i imagine you were busy with a zillion things what was uh, in your ears so um being the record producer yeah i didn't have a time to listen to other people's records because you know they keep doing the recording in the studio and they bring the new recording to me mm -hmm. and those days uh, we used a 16 channel analog tape recorder so i have to check the balance of the uh, you know sound i i tell to the uh, producer to you know re redo the uh, vocal or yeah. you know kind of thing. So I really didn't have time to other people's music. Uh, I spent almost all the time listening to the uh, music my people produced. Yeah. Yeah. But you were then kind of seeking a sound, and you were, you were eventually, and we'll, we'll get there, but uh, it's good that you eventually started to work more with Hosono and that crew because then the music that you were working on and had to listen to was this uh, phenomenal music. Uh -huh. Not that it wasn't before, but to, to be in that world, it must have been exciting. The, so this Happy End project kind of fizzles, and he but remains friends with all these folks. I mean, there's uh, Eichi Otaki, who's incredible, Shigeru mm -hmm. Suzuki, Takahashi Matsumoto, heavy musicians who then started doing solo records and were, were making incredible music. But he starts this this project. Uh, we heard the uh, Hosono House before. Oh, yeah. Reels back, and he starts working on this record at America Mura, which is the Johnson Air oh, Base. You, you uh, this know is everything. The, <laughs> you know better than I. <laughs> but, the, but the military base, and he. this is maybe also one of the first times that he starts to do, you know, like, a, you know, like more of a, a private, scaled-back studio thing. Yes. I heard that uh, uh, Hosanna House was recorded in his house mm -hmm. in in American Village. Yeah. You know? So this was the American military base. This is the military That's housing. Right. Cheap rent. A lot of artists were out there. And so instead of going to an expensive studio, you set up a console in the room. You bring all your people in the cozy place. Yeah. And he's getting closer to that vision. You don't have to bring a suitcase to America mm -hmm. full of bills. You can do it in Japan with the right people, the yeah. time to yeah. do it. That 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 becomes something that is important to him as well, to have the space, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. there's a very important quote that, that uh, Hosono mm -hmm. says about Kuni Marai here. I was thinking of quitting music if I hadn't done anything by the age of 30. Marai allowed me to continue making music. Oh, very nice of him. <laughs> That's a huge... 
so you're facilitating music. You're facilitating ideas. What what did you feel was your main role in that relationship, and and what were you hoping to to allow to happen? Um, I I loved his music, and uh, he was signed to another record company. Boo! Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, the the name of the record company is uh, Crown Record. Yeah, and he signed to Crown, but he released quite nice record. So I kept listening to him, and I kept seeing him in the recording studio uh, as a bass player for my session. Yeah. Uh, and then one day I said, "Come to my company, Alpha." But he signed to Crown, so he cannot sign as an artist. So I said, why don't you sign Alpha as a producer? And why don't you create something you want to create mm. in my company? So he signed the contract as a producer. So uh, he's paid you know, monthly as a producer. And he, he told me that he, he thought he had to do something for the company because the company is paying money every month. You know? Strange concept. Really? <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. Earlier, Zach back there mentioned the, the famous name, the Medicis, you know, yeah. these patrons. Mm -hmm. This is, you're recognizing somebody. He'd never been signed as a producer before, but you're recognizing this kind of spark in him. What, what was it about Hosono in that role that you felt was so important, and what did you feel would come out of the other end of it? Well, both Hosono and I uh, loved American music. Uh, not only American music, but uh, uh, the music influenced by... Uh, 20th century's American music, mm. you know, starting from the World War One, 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, and um, what was I talking about? <laughs> your, your, what you saw in him. I mean, you. Oh, so, so you're saying that you oh, had a shared so, sensibility. Right. You had a so, shared sensibility so both, of sound. Both Hosono and I, uh, we have a love for American or American-influenced yeah. music. And we hoped someday we're going to make a music for American people, for, you know, mm -hmm. people in the world hmm. uh, created in Japan yeah. by Japanese people. So we share the same dream. This is, this is a super important thing because the Japanese music economy, the market, was very domestic. It was the records being made were, were they might have been popular, but they were popular in Japan. And they were popular, they were influential there. But it wasn't breaking outside of Japan. So you guys had this larger vision. Is, is that a lot of what was at the heart of Alpha Records, the label that you founded? Yeah, that's, that's the heart of uh, making the company called Alpha. Because in 1969, as I told you, I went to Paris. I started seeing the people. You know, uh, in pa Paris is a very special city, uh, the early 20th century. 
they accepted black musicians. So the uh, the guy uh, who who found Quincy Jones is French, Eddie Barclay. And then uh, uh, many jazz musicians went to uh, France. So I started my career uh, in France. So a lot of influence on France. And uh, in that experience, I had a respect to, to, to to American music. Eddie Barclay himself was a jazz pianist. So, And this is also an artist-run label. So you, which right. is something special too. You weren't back there. I mean, there's, there's you know, I'm sure you've yeah. got a balance of books, but you were back. Yeah. Mark, you hit the point. <laughs> <laughs> so record company, companies, uh, those days, especially in Japan, was uh, were run by a company like Matsushita, Matsushita, which is in America, Panasonic, I think. Um, Colombia, uh, those days, called, it was called Denon. That's a part of Hitachi. Mm-hmm. Do you know Hitachi? Yeah. They make a power plant, you know, uh, bullet trains. <laughs> yeah, huge. So, those people used to run the company. The, all, so the presidents of all the record companies in Japan are, you know, uh, you know, the people from GE or GM or yeah. <laughs> something like that. Uh, but when I went to France and when I met Jerry Moss, when I came to the United States, Ahmet Ertigan is just a you know, that's A and M Records. You know, no, Atlantic, Atlantic. Sorry, Atlantic. Atlantic, Atlantic Records. He, Jerry Moss, A and M. Jazz fan. He's he's a jazz music collector. Yeah. And Jerry Moss is a music lover, and he used he was a promoter mm-hmm. of the music. And Herb Alpert is a musician, yeah. the trump, trumpet player. So I saw many uh, uh, people who who are the top of the uh, record companies. Yeah. So I thought it should be like that because when I talked to the president of uh, Victor Record... Are you here about a microwave? Do you want to make a microwave or do you want to make a color TV or do you want to make a washing machine? <laughs> so when I talked to him, he doesn't understand music yeah. at all. So why he runs a record company? I That was seven wonders of the world of mine. <laughs> So I thought I should start the record company because at least I love music, you know. <laughs> so I want to I want to hear a bit of the product of that record company and, and get in a bit of sound. So this, so Crown Records, you have uh, the first two of this tropical trilogy that Hosono was doing, and it was Tropical Dandy yeah. and Bon Voyage Company. So oh. these two records that were in this tropical trilogy. And then you wooed him into a producer's contract, mm-hmm. and then you you also release this album, Paraiso, yeah. Yeah. which now, thank goodness, is being issued here by Light and Attic. Um, and we're going to hear, let's hear something from Paraiso. This is uh, 1978. We've, we've kind of skipped through time a bit. 
But I want to hear a cut from this to, to kind of get in this moment and talk more about the label, and we'll continue the evolution here with Kuni Murai. Nice music. So that was a song called Femme Fatale, and that comes from this album, Paraiso. This is the third and final in the Tropical Trilogy. The interesting thing about that tune, amongst many, is the, the band for that tune, unlike the rest of the record, um, was Ryuichi Sakamoto and uh, Yukihiro Takahashi, mm. which was Yellow Magic Orchestra. So you've got uh, Harry Hosono and the Yellow Magic Band here. So this was the first kind of seed of Yellow Magic Orchestra, hearing this kind of uh, this tune. But tell us about... Paraiso, what what kind of conversation did you guys have as this was coming together? So Hosono and I had a dream, uh, uh, as I told you, to sell our music in the international world. So this is the second trial of doing the project. And the first project uh, we did, uh, we found, uh, Hosono said, I'd like to, to record the Creole artist, mm. the Creole, you understand yeah. the meaning. Uh, and then I found a Creole uh, singer, and uh, we recorded. We spent, you know, maybe $200,000 or something like that. But we didn't release it because... This is Linda... Linda Carriel, right. And that was the first trial, and the, this is the second trial. And amazingly, this record, those days sold only 3,000 copies. <laughs> so, so this first record, yeah. did we it We didn't come release out? it. <laughs> and, because, and because I played the, the record to, to the people like Jerry Moss, you know, yeah. and the people said, well, the singer is not good enough mm -hmm. to break the market. But there's a lot of heavyweights who are involved in the uh, the production of it, the writing of songs, including yeah. Hosono, but um, tons of other people. Yeah. It was a real heavyweight thing. But that's also that's a pretty big move for mm -hmm. to, to. I'm sure you weren't thrilled about it, but mm -hmm. to launch a label, to spend that much money on a record, mm -hmm. and then realize when it was more important to shelve it and move on. Mm -hmm. So you must have been thinking, this. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm here to, to make the right records, too. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then after this record, uh, Hosono came to me, and he started telling about uh, his plan to make Yellow Magic Orchestra, which uses the new instrument those days, uh, synthesizer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I approved it, and it took almost a year to make the first recording. Yeah, and uh, that was the beginning of the Yellow Magic Orchestra. Mm. So he had done a little bit of, you know, the this album Paraiso had some synthesizers. Also, the Cochin Moon album too, which mm -hmm. came out just before. 
we, we should hear I, we should hear a bit of that. Um, I mean, we see the 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 cover of this already is such a a wild kind of vision. Um, Who, who's that art director? Matt Yosuke. <laughs> um, let's check it out. Art direction. Aijiro Wakita, album oh. design, Kazuo, Kazuo Yasuohara. Oh, yeah. With photos by Yashitani Nakamoto. Yeah. Wa Wakita is a very famous sculptor. He passed away about 10 years ago. So we were surrounded by uh, not only the musicians, but the artists, you know, uh, uh, writers, you know, old artistic people. Hmm. That was a very lucky experience. Well, we, we have this uh, Cochin uh, Moon album too, which speaking of artists and, and creative people, I think is a, a very important um, record as well mm -hmm. because it, it has uh, um, lots of connections to, to art. It's a Yoko, what's the name here? Yeah. What, what a great artist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the scoop on that one, that was essentially, uh, that was for King Records. That was 1978. That was around the exact same uh -huh. time as this. Mm -hmm. um, were you kind of aware of what he was up to at that point? And, and, uh, what, what year was it? 78. 78. Yeah. Is he signed to Alpha already? So he was on King, but this was, I believe, this is right before, two months before YMO. Oh. Was he doing it on the I side? didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't tell you. <laughs> okay. That's, that's why he has that uh, block on his uh, phone. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's at that point, electronic music, too, in Japan. You have Tomita. Tomita, who, who what a great guy he was, was huge, yeah, and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about Tomita. I would love it. Uh, Tomita is, uh, uh, I think, eighteen years older than I, but we went to the same college, so we became friends. And um, uh, in 1970, I went to uh, island of Mallorca in, in the uh, Mediterranean Ocean. Mm -hmm. And there was the uh, meeting called uh, Billboard International Music Conference or something like that. And then there was a demonstration of uh, Moog. How do you pronounce Moog or Moog synthesizer? <laughs> <laughs> and that... So I knew about the synthesizer, but uh, Hosono found the future in synthesizer, mm -hmm. and so did uh, Tomita. Yes. And in Tomita's case, he made uh, Dubisi's Moonlight mm -hmm. in, uh, with, using the synthesizer. And it became, you know, it hit the American chart. So and um, that was in the air. I mean, there's um, 1975, 76, 70, uh -huh. yeah. But there was, you know, the the uh, switched on Bach and Wendy Carlo stuff, and there was there was this idea of the classical. So, but at this point, it was he did Snowflakes Are Dancing. He yeah. also did some Ravel, 
but he was he was big. He had kind of a, a secret weapon in a way, or uh, Hideki yeah. Matsa, Matsutake, Matsutake, yeah, um, who was programming mm-hmm. this stuff. And this is this, this era where it's not nimble, you know, sort of. You don't have it. It's not mm-hmm. on, an app on a phone. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's serious kind of programming. Yeah. Um, but he was helping kind of the breakthrough to electronics mm-hmm. for Hosono for this mm-hmm. Cochin Moon record. Mm-hmm. And it comes out of that the, it seems like Hosono was a seeker too. And it, he was seeking kind of within, mm-hmm. but also this album was the product of going to India. Mm-hmm. And he went with, I'll mess the, the name up, but some people already said it before. The, uh, I remember he went to India and he all, almost died in India. And because of the diarrhea, you know, he had... <laughs> He had a water or ice cream or salad, I don't yeah. know. But so. he was also wooed, he was wooed to India. Taranori uh, Yoko actually wooed him to India by talking about diarrhea. Uh-huh. And he was like, wow, like this is like, you know, a far out visual artist who's uh-huh. like, but almost like this cleansing, super intense experience. So he's breaking out of his mold. He's going on this trip. Uh-huh. So he gets super sick. Yeah, so that's the reason why I haven't been to India. <laughs> Don't go with him. Whatever he eats, eat the opposite. But I think we should hear a little bit of, of Cochin Moon, too, because this is also important to a lot of the rest of his story. of diarrhea. <laughs> so, Hungar Sajan, and this is, this is uh, part of an important concept to him, this idea of kind of uh, uh, sightseeing. Yeah, yeah. And, but but now, at this point, it was not really even him. It was um, uh, Taranori Yako who was kind of urging him to go in this direction. But this gentleman, visual artist, who, who turned him on to this idea to let's go to India, let's get diarrhea, let's, but let's capture the essence of the space and sound. Mm-hmm. And almost instead of field recordings and kind of that true environmental sound, it was what's the spirit of it? And let's bring it back to Japan. Yeah. And then he gets in the studio with Hideki, mm-hmm. who has the ability wow. to program this stuff. And he's, he's making this kind of electronic, mm-hmm. you know, Bollywood postcard mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, super inspired by Lata Mangeshkar and mm-hmm. vocalists in India. Mm-hmm. But the other important kind of huge world-changing connection mm-hmm. with uh, 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 Tada Nori, uh, we'll call him Tada, Tada, um, was that he turned him on to craft work. And that was a big kind of world-changing thing. Do you remember when Kraftwerk started kind of connecting to what they were doing? Did you hear them talk about Kraftwerk? I, I heard, but then I didn't listen to it. I didn't have time to listen to Kraftwerk. <laughs> You're making records. I, yeah, I wasn't. 
Yeah, really, <laughs> making records is 24 hours job. Yeah. They keep bringing the new recording. I have to, to you know, keep listening yeah. to all the records. But that's a, that's a huge kind of imprint on Yellow Magic Orchestra. Uh, yeah. And he brings in Hideki. Mm-hmm. He's got Yukihiro Takahashi. Uh-huh. And he's got Ryuichi Sakamoto. So you have this dream team assembled mm-hmm. and ready to, to go to action for Alpha Records. Uh-huh. Tell us about the first YMO record and and the, the, how this all came together. Um, I think that was 19... late 70s, mm-hmm. 79 maybe, mm-hmm. 78. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so busy. And uh, my company, Alpha Records, became the licensee of A&M Records. So I was responsible for my artist at the same time uh, A&M artists, uh, those days, police, super Trump, you know, all those stuff. So you were, you were importing this into Japan, licensing it so for... So licensing it, and, and I released A&M record in yeah. Japan. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was so, you know, so m- much work. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have time uh, to discuss with... Ho- Hosono about the new project, and he came to me. There was, it. Uh, we had m- maybe only half an hour to talk about the new project, mm. and he started talking about. This. I heard a little bit of it. He said something like a synthesizer, <laughs> you know, and I said, "Okay, okay, do whatever you want," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure he was happy at that point. I mean, again, if you're dealing with King Records, Crown Records, and you have these executives mm-hmm. who are, are only looking at the money, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, slinging toaster ovens or whatever, mm-hmm. To, to work with somebody mm-hmm. who has this refreshing outlook of mm-hmm. trust, you yeah. know, trust and let's, let's do it. Let's make a record. Did they record? So Alpha also had a studio, too. Yeah. And that was important. Luckily, you, yeah, we had a studio. Yeah. Tell us about your first studio. Uh, the, the, my first studio uh, is called Studio A. And those days, as I told you, I was a sub-publisher of uh, Screen Gems Columbia, uh, uh, the writers were Carol King, uh, Giffin and Carol King, mm-hmm. Bert Bakalak, um, Neil Sidaka, uh, some other big names. Yeah. And uh, uh, the president of the company uh, is Lester Seal. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, not many people remember Lester Seal, but Lester Seal was like a boss of uh, Phil Spector. You know, those days. He was uh, on top of the wall. That's around, right. Sitting so, perched. So I knew, so I came uh, to Los Angeles for the first time in 1970. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I met Lester Seal. And I started seeing, uh, meeting many uh, people in here. And then uh, I met Don Costa, mm-hmm. the arranger, uh, those who love uh, Frank Sinatra may remember him as a great arranger for uh, Frank Sinatra. And his younger brother worked for Motown Records 
And the Motown came from Motown to Los Angeles those days, and they yeah. made a recording studio. Mm -hmm. And A&M also made a new recording studio. And then I hired uh, the architect uh, for the recording studio to make the Studio A. So it's a very hip uh, new recording studio mm -hmm. in Japan, same as A&M and uh, Motown. So this uh, was a, a West Coast style American studio. That's true. Yeah. The, the thing was purpose built to, to, to be that way. Yeah. Did it also have a different vibe? As far as the in-studio vibe, was yeah, it? Uh, let me tell you. Um, before those days, Motown and A&M, mm -hmm. uh, everybody recorded at Capitol. And in the huge room, yeah. it, it's stereo, stereo, but uh, they recorded the big orchestra and the singer at the same time. Mm -hmm. And after 70s, they started using eight tracks, 16 tracks, 24 tracks. Mm -hmm. So the style of the recording uh, changed. So uh, the, the great recording in 1970s, like a tapestry album, mm -hmm. Cal King, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, are recorded in that kind of recording studio. Mm -hmm. So I had the same similar studio in Tokyo. So luckily, uh, Hosono started in that recording studio. So he was familiar with that already, and then he's activating this new project, Yellow Magic Orchestra. Yeah. How long did they they spend in there to record the the first record? months? <laughs> so, so the uh, studio uh, was occupied by Hosono. Mm -hmm. So Matsutake put the uh, synthesizer, and when I go. When I went to the uh, recording studio, I saw so many lines, you know, you know, hundreds of uh, snakes <laughs> on the floor. So they, you know, creating the new uh, sounds yeah. out of synthesizer. So uh, I was, I couldn't stay more than half an hour there because they were creating the uh, sound from the synthesizer. Mm. So nowadays, you can pick up any sound you want from internet. So there, yeah, there are millions of uh, sound, including, uh, uh, for example, Vienna Philharmonic recorded the strings. So mm. you can take uh, yeah. The Vienna Philharmonic strings from the internet, yeah. so you can combine everything together. That's what it is right now. Yeah. But those days, you have to create each different synthesizer sound mm. from scratch. Mm. So it, you know, they spent, you know, <laughs> so many hours in the recording studio. So I decided to make another studio for Hosono yeah. called LDK Studio. LDK means living, dining, and kitchen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he did, so, he, did, he did live so, there. So, so uh, the, he, Hosono named yeah. the, the studio uh, as LDK. Those days, you know, recording this synthesizer sound, yeah. um, 
takes forever. Yeah. So they live there, they eat there, they sleep there. So that's the reason why he named the studio LDK Studio. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so let's let's play a, a tune from so. These guys get turned on to craft work. They've got Hideki there helping in the program, but they have the luxury of time, a beautiful new studio, the space to do it, and their incredible talents coming together, but also getting turned on to the more European electronic music instead of Tomita, who was making really interesting music, but this was a different sensibility. Kraftwerk was mm-hmm. making essentially, you know, pop music, but in a, a new, most futuristic form. Yeah. So maybe let's hear uh, Firecracker. Yeah. So we're going to hear some uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra here. This is Firecracker, 1978. <laughs> So this is uh, Firecracker, and so YMO did all right, right? So the time in the studio that they spent was well worth it. Yeah, uh, I think so. <laughs> so they, they, you're, you had this idea of making something more global and international. Yeah, that, and it was a relationship between you. You then also licensed to to A and M Records. A&M you did Records. it the opposite right. way because uh, when I signed uh, with A and M, I made it uh, a mutual contract. I sell their record in Japan; they sell my record in in the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the first trial for A and M to sell Japanese music to the world. And it was successful. Was it surprisingly successful? Did you did you think that this sound would then reach people and around the world? Actually, it reached. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, it was 1979. Uh, the Yellow Magic Orchestra was invited to Greek theater mm-hmm. to play with the Tube. Yeah, the Tube is the name of the band, and then it. In, f- from the start, it was a big success. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the audience was so excited. I, I wasn't there, but I saw the video of the uh, concert. And there's videos online, so you can watch these videos uh, on yeah, YouTube, yeah. And, and it's incredible. That's it's, right. Yeah, 1979 Greek theater opening for the Tubes, and they did some touring with the Tubes as That's well. Right. Yeah. Um, and they were dedicated to to making records so they had right afterwards solid state survivor um there is a tune on here called behind the mask Mm -hmm. and michael jackson was a big fan of this oh yeah song can you tell us he covered behind the mask Mm -hmm. yeah but he also wanted to you know everything (laughs) he wanted to cover it even more and and put it on thriller Uh but sakamoto who wrote that Mm -hmm. didn't like that idea as much, I guess. Do, do you remember this time? I, I don't remember, but I remember that Ryuichi Sakamoto is always, he ma- made all the troubles. <laughs> <laughs> but they were also, I mean, they were, maybe they were the real businessmen. I mean, Sakamoto, because a lot of the music too was for commercials, for Seiko or uh-huh, different, uh-huh. different companies. These guys were also very busy making commercial yeah, music yeah, yeah. too. Mm. Um, 
but they had a, a, a streak of albums. Were they performing a lot in Japan too? Were they? Oh yeah, yeah. And what was the the kind of stage show there? What was there? Because they had a lot of instruments, a lot of instruments that were probably new to audiences to see on stage. Uh, I remember the concert uh, in uh, Budokan. Budokan is the uh, initially it's for Japanese martial art. Yeah, like uh, kendo, mm-hmm. sword. Judo kind of thing, but uh, the place became very famous because the Beatles, uh, came, when they came to Japan for the first time, they performed uh, at the Budokan. Yeah. So all the musicians of the world uh, came to Budokan. So YMO played at the Budokan maybe two, three, four, five times. So I was there. Were there were there record sales as they uh, they were huge in Japan, right? I mean, they were. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah. Uh, we sold millions of records mm-hmm. in Japan. And so, would you hear this as you you moved through Tokyo? Would you hear this coming out of out of cafes or bars or cars? Was this on the streets or was it kind of? S- Behind closed doors. Again, I was too busy listening <laughs> to my records. <laughs> I don't remember well. Well, it made a, a, a big impact, and and they also had a, a close connection to electronics companies. I mean, at this point, Japan, again, you were a visionary in thinking of Japanese music as an export. Mm. Because Japan, that's the era and this was the the kind of great economic miracle of Japan, post-war, very affluent time for yeah, Japan. Yeah. And they were exporting cars, so Toyota and Nissan, all these cars were hitting yeah. the world, and, mm-hmm. and they were they're floating out there, electronics as well. Music, not so much at that point, not really at all until... Not at all. Yeah, YMO. Hit. Yeah. Uh, 1950s, uh, there was the uh, uh, song called uh, Sukiyaki, Yes, that yeah. the first music came yeah. to, to to the United States, and it was a little it was a little kitschy. Yeah, but I think that the interesting thing, and we hear also in Firecracker, and that was also Martin Denny uh, yeah, cover that's too. Right. More international. So they were they Hosono, especially throughout his work, there was this kind of exotica idea, and yeah. almost like a fetishism of exotica. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is he was also, and YMO, were also flipping it and skewing it and saying the world right now, you know, are, is thinking of Japan. Mm-hmm. And Japan is exotic to the world. We're, yeah. getting, it, we're getting cars, we're getting electronics, mm-hmm. and it's this futuristic thing. Mm-hmm. Almost in a satirical way, l- looking through the lens of the world at themselves mm-hmm. and making this almost self-referential exotic uh, music mm-hmm. and playing with that, uh, having fun with the the perception and bending mm-hmm. perceptions, much like Happy End was bending language to yeah, fit yeah. what they wanted. Yeah. So it was a band that was doing you know amazing things, but also had a close connection to these uh, to these companies. Were, as Alpha, mm-hmm. were you doing a lot of work with companies with with TV and with uh, licensing music to to uh, companies? Uh, I I don't understand the uh, question. What was well. Alpha working closely with both licensing music companies, but also with, say, electronic uh, instrument manufacturers oh, in no, Japan? No, not at all. No, okay. we, uh, we concentrated on only music. But the band was connected. I mean, uh, this was well. The, the, all those companies, yeah, wanted <laughs> wanted to give the new instrument to them. 
<laughs> and I'm sure Hosono was not saying no to, to this. Well, they tried everything, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's move into, you mentioned Living Dining Kitchen Studios. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I've heard maybe whispers is they were spending way too much time at Studio A. Oh, and uh, stu Studio A? So they were, they were spending much time. Too much time at Studio A. Was yeah. that one of the reasons you built him in his own studio? That, that's true. The Studio A is quite huge, big studio, maybe twice of this room. Yeah. And then, you know, Hosono take whole place, you know, 24 hours a day. So other alpha artists couldn't do the recording in, mm -hmm. in the studio. So I gave him uh, LDK Studio, maybe half of this room. Uh, and then I told him, you can do whatever you want here. So he, he goes into LDK Studios. Mm -hmm. He also takes a break after touring and, and, and being so busy. So this um, LDK Studio is very, uh, has a very strange structure. So it's like uh, uh, there used to be a restaurant on the ground floor. So opening the, the door, there's a studio. Yeah. Um, so one day I opened the studio and Hosono was lying, laying down on, on, on the floor. I thought he's dead. <laughs> but he was sleeping because he was you know, doing all those yeah. work. Uh, all, all through the night. So this was his space. He could do, he could spend to his heart's content and more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Spend time there. So this record came yeah. out of that space, oh, Phil Harmony. And this yeah. is the first on a label called mm. Yin Records, yeah. too. Before we get into Yin, I actually think we should play a bit of this. But I also want to say, uh, featuring guest performers, Emulator, Films, MC4, Profit 5. Oh, and on and on, plus people. But he's actually naming the electronic music instruments as right. guest performers yeah. on the record because it was that important to yeah. him. Um, I think to get into, I, I kind of feel like, so Zach and I have a very, this is uh, very close to our hearts. So maybe we'll hear two pieces from this. Let's hear Luminescent Hotaru and Sportsman. Everybody, can I introduce you somebody who signed you? Uh, I'm so happy. Who, yes, who I, I, I know who this is, and please, <laughs> please introduce. So my friend uh, Daisuke Hinata is there. Come, come <laughs> up here. <laughs> and his band, Interior is incredible. And um, same, same year, oh, Daisuke. So, say something. 
<laughs> so come, come sit with us, Daisuke. Let me move my junk out of the way here. Sure. I, I'm curious. So, so this is what what is beautiful to me is that this is maybe this trust that that has enabled all of this to flow. The trust in music and the power of music that you know Kuni trusted Hosono, brought him in. That birthed Waimo, which then was, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It, it had success because it was talent with trust from the label resources that then could create, you know, a, a system that could spawn now a sub-label, a new label yeah. called Yin Records, yeah. which allowed Hosono to put out his own solo music, Phil Harmony, this beautiful album where he could spend tons of time but also to work with artists that he loved and to, to really showcase. And so uh, Daisuke Hinata uh, of Interior is, is one of these artists. And I want to get this, this uh, term right. Shinjin uh, Rui? 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 Shinjin Rui, which is new type of person, right? This is a thing that was coming up. You are a new type of person, right? <laughs> yeah. Tell me. <laughs> tell us, tell us about your relationship to Hosono-san and and Interior and how you felt. Like, what was the what was the what was in the air? Oh, um, so it's it, it's all related. The one example was that um, Sokuni gave Hosono the studio time, right? Mm. And the studio time, studio A turned out to be LDK. Mm -hmm. So. I was asking. Producer. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking Hosono to give me free studio time at yeah. LDK, yeah. so that I can do what I've, uh, I I want to do. Yeah. And he said, "How much time ever you want?" The same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this I'm paid forward sort of thing. I yeah, mean, I didn't know that it came from him till now. That spirit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I came back from back then. I came back from Boston. Yeah, to Tokyo. And you uh, were were you at Berkeley? Were you studying yeah. there? Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, this band Interior, four guys are all from Berkeley. Yeah. And um, so we were totally new new kind of musicians because we weren't doing anything back in Japan. Yeah. So we didn't have any connection, nothing. All I we knew was that uh, we saw YMO in Boston. So, uh, my sax guy uh -huh. said, I'm going to go back to Japan and meet the guy and tell him that how, how great I am, we are. Uh -huh. <laughs> Crazy, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> he spent a month to two, finally met Hosono, told him that uh, I'm worth a lot for you. Uh -huh. You have to listen to my music. And he listened. <laughs> Strange wow. enough that he he took us seriously. Hmm. What 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 about his? I mean, you're obviously it's interesting because you're you're in Japan and moving to Boston to to kind of break out and find something new. Mm -hmm. Hearing what's really new for you coming right. from Japan, mm -hmm. going back to Japan, mm -hmm. talking to Sona. What was his demeanor like when when you talked to him? I mean, it sounds like he was willing to spend the time, but what was your sense of his personality and his kind of vibe? Uh, he, he 
was like a pure musician. Mm -hmm. And if he likes what we play, he yeah. likes it. Mm -hmm. He produced us, but uh, he didn't tell me anything, nothing. Uh -huh. He came to the studio and take a nap. That's all. <laughs> it sounds like he did that a lot. <laughs> yeah, but that, that made us so secure. Yeah. So, Incredible. Yeah. And so you are one of these new type of people, Shinjin Ri, mm -hmm. um, along with uh, uh, Guernica, Test Pattern. Right. I mean, this was, did you feel kinship amongst also the other artists on Yin and feel like, I mean, Hosono was also on his own label at this point mm -hmm. too, which is really nice. Did you, did you know these other artists? Yeah, but we were young and so competitive, right? Uh -huh. So... Um, Hosono is the only person to talk to, and other guys who are like, you know, all the rivals or just yeah. like, just like, you know, you so silly, go dead kind of thing. Did you hear each other's music much? Uh, yeah. Rival, to, to, rivals to, have to, to yeah, check to in on each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was fun. And what was, when, when you talked to Hosono and made the case for Interior, mm -hmm. what, what was your case? Like, what, what did... What did you say to him to make him believe, or was it through the music exclusively? I'm not going to say anything. You've got to hear this. Uh, it was kind of kind of easy because we kind of presented one pop pop poppy demo, yeah, and one totally not poppy mm -hmm. poppy. It's like a environmental music kind of yeah. thing, and we were hoping that they would he would pick this poppy uh -huh. pop song that we were going to be like a rock star or something, uh -huh. right? Sounds a little like police. Yeah. But he didn't have any interest on that one, mm -hmm. but this weird music that we can make it so easy, Yeah. he got so into it. Interesting. Right, and as he was encouraging us to continue doing this. Did you feel truly like it was easy to make? It... it it was it was something that we have to make, so let's make one now. Yeah. And ten minutes later, it's done. Mm. So four of us were had some kind of some kind of chemistry that made that kind of yeah. contemporary music easier to mm. create. Mm. Like it was so easy, e too easy that it didn't have any value to us. Huh. But he found some value to. Let's let's hear some uh, easy listening. This is uh, this is Cold Beach, 1982. You can see the cover there. Zach's got it. Cold Beach from Interior, 1982. Wow. And this is what Zach's saying is this is like this room is like made for this music or maybe this record you didn't know it was made for this room. But we're gonna hear Cold Beach from Interior. father here he's uh godfather grandfather you you uh, again Grandson. you you like birthed all of this yes 
So that, that's 1982 yen records, that's Interior Cold Beach. And um, there is interior music coming out too as part of the Light in the Attic Japanese series of releases that are all interrelated. And um, it, uh, Yosuke, the title of that record again. What is it? Environmental music, and it's uh, compiled by Spencer Duran of Visible Cloaks, and it's a great record all the way through. You live here in LA, right? Yes. Yes. So, can you please keep making easy music for us. <laughs> <laughs> It's such an incredible record, and and I think that, you know, again, this kind of uh, uh, journey or, or the, I think that the the ripples of of action and doing things for the right reason, mm-hmm. you're in music because you loved it. You're yeah. a songwriter. You're yeah. you're you're a musician. You're there focused, but then you're allowing the possibility for all of this to happen, and and Daisuke and and Interior are, you know, the sounds that have graced our ears are are you know the product of that. So we thank you so much uh, for Kuni Marai for making Alpha happen, for making Yin happen. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I thank you, I thank you very much, you know, it's an amazing, uh, when I started the company, um, almost like a 50 years ago, and I'm so glad that, you know, your, your people love the music still. And, and it's, and more and more so what's happening is that, you know, when I was saying earlier, I, I think all of us are kind of slow to get this because it wasn't, you know, it, it was available, the YMO records, and you mm-hmm. broke through, but now it's, it's coming. It's almost like your, your dream is really coming to fruition, mm-hmm. where this is international music now. It's really, it's gracing stereos all over the world, headphones yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And so we thank you so much for doing it, and Daisuke as well for, for making incredible music. Let's hear it again. Kuni Marai, Daisuke. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> thank you. A lot of this music would not have been possible even to, to now come out on Light in the Attic. We're doing such an incredible job. Yosuke Kitazawa is in charge of this series. So let's hear it for Yosuke Kitazawa, who is So this music has has broken through and now is is widely available to the world. Gotta give a plug, uh, Zach Cowie back there. Uh, Incredible in sheep's clothing, and uh, Zach and our uh, myself and our buddy Andy Kabik from the band Vetiver uh, co-produced and compiled a record that's coming out as part of the series called Pacific Breeze, and it's boogie funk, disco, city pop, etc. from Japan that'll come out early next year on Light in the Attic. So much to come. Excited about it. I hope you guys can tune in and connect to all of it. But uh, big thanks to all of you. I think we should hop into. I, we'll hop into the, these records, but but Zach and I also have a, a soft spot for a song called Q from BGM from Yellow Magic Orchestra. So we're going to hear the song Q, and then we're going to keep it rolling. We'll hear music. Big thanks to In Sheep's Clothing as well for hosting this amazing happening. Yay! <laughs>
In Conversation was produced by DubLab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bame. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.